Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome to another glorious Tuesday. We are still in our cult miniseries, and tonight's cult is cult number four. We will be discussing the Unification Church. In part one, we're going to talk all about its founder, Yong Myung Moon. We're going to go into depth about his life, marriages, the first association that he founded, legal issues, and so much more. I think because of all the information I found regarding the Unification Church, this might actually be a three-parter. But as always, before we get started, let's do our week-slash-weekend recap. Nothing too exciting happened to me last week. The only things that I can really think of that were interesting was we had a good amount of our friends come over on Sunday And we had like a little meeting for a vacation that we're all going to go on together. Now, it's not like going to Disney World or, you know, on a cruise or some crazy resort. We're honestly just renting an Airbnb out in the middle of nowhere. And we're just going to hang out together for an entire weekend. And it's going to be wonderful. And then today, something actually really funny happened. I had a conversation with my grandparents over the weekend because they sent my daughter a birthday card. Now, granted, her birthday is at the end of February, but they like to send things early just to make sure that we actually get them on time. So I got her birthday card, and then they had also sent a package. In this package contained several necklaces that are my grandmother's that she has now given to me and my daughter. And they are really special because my grandmother and my daughter share the same birthday. So they have the same birthstone and everything. So one of the necklaces that she sent was a birthstone necklace. So I called them to let them know that we had received them. And while we were talking, I asked my grandmother what she was going to go do on her birthday and what she was going to eat. Asked her if she was going to eat her favorite foods because normally that's what you do on your birthday, right? Well, she said that she would love to eat her favorite food, which is fried chicken. But my grandfather and my uncle don't particularly like fried chicken as much as she does. So they'll probably just eat something else. Well, as you know, we live in the technology world, and I can have things delivered to my grandparents' house even though I live halfway across the country. So I told her that I would send her fried chicken, and I don't think that she actually believed me because she doesn't know about DoorDash. She doesn't know about Uber Eats or anything like that because they really don't use technology like They have a landline, and my grandfather has a flip phone. So they have no idea about any of that stuff. So she honestly thought I was joking and didn't really say anything else about it. So I asked her if they were going to be home this week, and she told me about some doctor's appointment she was going to. So this afternoon, I get on DoorDash, 
type in their address, I look for the closest fried chicken place, and I send them fried chicken for lunch. Now, I call her at lunchtime, and I tell her to go to the front door because there's something there. She believes that I'm there, and I had to unfortunately tell her that no, I'm still sitting here in Maryland, but there is something at the front door you need to go get. So when she went to the front door and realized I had sent her fried chicken, she started hysterically laughing and nearly peed her pants. She couldn't believe that me, living in Maryland, had sent her fried chicken that when she picked it up was still piping hot. So then when I called back later this evening to find out how their lunch was, my grandfather told me, that when he came back from getting gas in his car, my grandmother met him at the, fr- at the door and said, you will not believe what happened to me today. Now again, my grandparents are really old and they don't leave the house. So not a lot happens. So this was a huge highlight of their day. And I just thought it was so cute and so funny because how much she was laughing about it. And I really just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was really cute. So enough of me just rambling and telling you my cute stories about my grandparents. Let's go ahead and get started with tonight's episode. Unification Church, Part 1. Yong Myung Moon was born on January 6, 1920 in North Pyongyang Province, Korea. At that time, Korea was still under Japanese rule and had not yet split into North and South Korea as we know it today. Yong Myung was the youngest of two sons in a farming family of eight children. When he was around 10 years old, his family converted from Confucianism beliefs to Christianity. According to Wikipedia.com, Confucianism, also known as Ruism, is a system of thought and behavior originated in ancient China. Variously described as tradition, a philosophy, a religion, a humanistic or rationalistic religion, a way of governing, or simply a way of life. Confucianism developed from what was later called the Hundred Schools of Thought from the teachings of the Chinese philosopher Confucius. When Moon was a teenager, he began studying the Bible and taught Sunday school. At the age of 16, he claimed that he had a vision in which Jesus appeared to him and told him to complete the task of establishing God's kingdom on earth and bring peace to the world. At the age of 21, Moon began studying electrical engineering at Waseda University in Japan. While there, he cooperated with Communist Party members in the Korean independence movement against Imperial Japan. By 1943, Moon had returned to Seoul and married Sun Kil Choi on April 28, 1945. Their first son, Sung Jin Moon, was born on April 2, 1946. Sometime in the late 1940s, Moon decided to change his given name of Yong Myung to Sun Myung. He then began attending a church that was led by Byok Moon Kim, who said that he had been given by Jesus the mission to spread the message of new Israel throughout the world. Japan had control of Korea between 1910 and 1945. 
Japan was forced to give up all of their colonies after World War II, including Korea, to the victorious allied countries, which ended a 35-year Japanese ruling. Korea's freedom did not last long as the Soviet Union invaded Korea the very same day. The Soviets occupied the North and the United States occupied the South. Pyongyang was the center of Christian activity in Korea until this divide. 166 priests and other religious figures were killed or sent to concentration camps. In 1947, Moon was convicted by the North Korean government of spying for South Korea and given a five-year sentence in a labor camp. In 1950, the United Nations troops raided the camp during the Korean War and Moon was able to escape and ended up in Busan, South Korea. Now here's a little interesting fact for you. My brother Matthew, who is adopted, was born in Busan, South Korea. My parents tried to have children naturally for some time and eventually adopted my brother. After trying again for a biological child and being told by their doctor that there was nothing else that they could do for them, they were in the process of adopting another baby from Korea when my mom found out she was pregnant with me. All right, all right, back to our regularly scheduled program. After Moon lived in Busan for some time, he moved to Seoul and became a staunch anti-communist. He founded the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity in 1954. Wow, that was a mouthful. So instead of saying all of that, we're just going to refer to it as HSA-UWC. Moon preached a conservative, family-oriented value system and his interpretation of the Bible. With these teachings, he drew in young acolytes that helped build the foundations of church-affiliated businesses and cultural organizations. Even though he preached family-oriented values, Moon and Choi divorced in 1957. HSA-UWC grew rapidly in South Korea, and by the end of 1955, there were over 30 centers. They eventually expanded throughout the world. Most of their members lived in South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, and other nations in East Asia. Moon then decided to send missionaries to Japan in 1958 and to the United States in 1959. Moon turned 40 in 1960, and shortly after his birthday, he married 17-year-old Hak Yon Han in a ceremony that was called the Holy Marriage. People referred to her as mother or true mother, and together they were referred to as the true parents by the members of the church. Moon believed that Jesus was divine but not God, that he was supposed to be the second Adam who would create a perfect family by joining with the ideal wife and creating a pure family that would have begun humanity's liberation from its sinful condition. When Jesus was crucified before marrying, he redeemed mankind spiritually, but not physically. That task was left to the true parents, Moon and Han, who would link married couples and their families to God. In 1961, 
Moon and Han created the Holy Marriage Blessing Ceremony. According to en-academic.com, the Holy Marriage Blessing Ceremony is a wedding or marriage rededication ceremony sponsored by the Unification Church. It is given to married or engaged couples. Through it, members of the church believe the couple is removed from the lineage of sinful humanity and engrafted into God's sinless lineage. As a result, the couple's marital relationship and any children born after the blessing exist free from the consequences of original sin. There were 36 couples during the first ceremony in Seoul, South Korea. It was performed by Moon and Han. All the couples were members of the church. Moon himself matched every couple except for 12 who were already married prior to joining the church. He stated that he matched couples from different races and nationalities because of his belief that all of humanity should be united. He's quoted saying, International and intercultural marriages are the quickest way to bring about an ideal world of peace. People should marry across national and cultural boundaries with people from countries they consider to be their enemies so that the world of peace can come that much more quickly. In 1971, Moon and his wife Han moved to the United States. A year later, he founded the International Conference on the Unity of Sciences. Moon believed that religion alone cannot save the world and his particular belief in the importance of unity of science and religion were reportedly a motivation for the founding of this organization. Some of these participants included Nobel laureate John Eccles, Eugene Wigner, economics and political philosopher Frederick Hayek, ecologics Kenneth Mellenby, Frederick Seitz, pioneer of solid-state physics Neenan Smart, and Holocaust theologian Richard Rubinstein. Some believe that the conferences were an attempt to improve the often controversial unification movement's public image. Now, remember when President Richard Nixon was going through the Watergate scandal and was being pressured to resign from office? No, maybe not. Way before your time? Here's a quick synopsis of what the Watergate scandal is if you aren't familiar with it. The Watergate scandal was a major political scandal in the United States involving the administration of U.S. President Richard Nixon from 1972 to 1974 that led to Nixon's resignation. The scandal steamed from the Nixon administration's continual attempts to cover up its involvement in the June 17, 1972 break-in of the Democratic National Committee headquarters at Washington, D.C. Watergate office building. During all of this, Moon asked church members in the United States to support President Nixon. Many members camped in front of the United States Capitol building for three days while fasting and praying. They often chanted these words, Forgive, love, and unite. In February of 1974, President Nixon publicly thanked the Unification Church for their support. 
This brought the church into widespread public and media attention. Many anti-cult activists accused the church of brainwashing its members. Some members even reported that they had been kidnapped and forcibly deprogrammed by those who wanted to pull out of the movement. Now, let's get into some of Moon's legal issues. Moon was indicted by a federal grand jury and charged with three counts of willfully filing false federal income tax returns for the years 1973, 1974, and 1975. One count of conspiracy to file false income tax returns, to obstruct justice, to make false statements to government officials, and to make false statements to a grand jury on October 15, 1981. Moon failed to declare as income and pay taxes on $112,000 of earned interest and a receipt of $50,000 of corporate stocks. The prosecution stated that they were his own personal property, but his defense stated that the stocks were being held on behalf of the church. Now, Moon did transfer the bulk of the funds to the church upon its incorporation. Holding church funds in a minister's name is not uncommon, especially in small churches. Moon and his defense requested to have what is called a bench trial, meaning that they wanted to have a trial by a judge and not by a jury. This request was denied. Prosecutors offered to drop the case in return for Moon surrendering his green card, but he refused. So in 1982, Moon was convicted on all counts, and they were upheld during his appeal. He was given an 18-month sentence and fined $15,000. He served 13 months of the sentence at the Federal Correctional Institute in Danbury, Connecticut. Moon's aide and confidant during the trial was also convicted on conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and perjury. He was sentenced to three months imprisonment, which he served alongside Moon. Now, in an article on wikipedia.com, a former inmate of Moon's, Ed Farmer, is quoted saying this, The Reverend Moon has a very good sense of humor. It's hard for me to think of a person as being mean or brainwashing people with the sense of humor he has. He truly loves people. I mean, he likes being with them. He likes being kidded. He likes being teased. I never saw a mean act on his part. He never asked for special treatment. He mopped floors and cleaned tables, and he helped other people when he was finished with his own job. Now, the Unification Church was not pleased that Moon was in prison, so they launched a public relations campaign. They mailed booklets, letters, and videotapes to well over 300,000 Christian leaders in the United States. A couple American Christian leaders spoke out in defense of Moon. Those were Jerry Falwell, head of Moral Majority, and the head of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Joseph Lowry, United States Senator Eugene McCarthy, and Harvard Professor Harvey Cox also spoke out. 
Now, in a report made by the United States Senate subcommittee, conducted their own investigation into his tax case. Senator Orrin Hatch was a chairman and issued this statement in the report. We accused a newcomer to our shores of criminal and intentional wrongdoing for conduct commonly engaged in by a large percentage of our own religious leaders, namely the holding of church funds in bank accounts in their own names. Catholic priests do it. Baptist ministers do it. And so did Sung Myung Moon. No matter how we view it, it remains a fact that we charged a non-English-speaking alien with criminal tax evasion on the first tax returns that he filed in this country. It appears that we didn't give him a fair chance to understand our laws. We didn't seek a civil penalty as an initial means of redress. We didn't give him the benefit of any doubt. Rather, we took a novel theory of tax liability of less than $10,000 and turned it into a guilty verdict, an 18-month sentence in a federal prison. I do feel strongly after my subcommittee has carefully and objectively reviewed this case from both sides that injustice rather than justice has been served. The Moon case sends a strong signal that no one's views are unpopular enough. This country will find a way not to tolerate but to convict. I don't believe that you or I or anyone else, no matter how innocent, could realistically prevail against the combined forces of our Justice Department and Judicial Branch in a case such as Reverend Moon's. Now, on the 40th anniversary of the founding of HSA UWS, Moon declared that this era has ended and inaugurated a new organization called the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. Another long name. We will refer to it as FFWPU. So former HSA UWC members, as well as other religious organizations, wanted to work on issues such as sexual morality and reconciliation between people of different religions, nations, and races. We're going to talk more in depth about the FFWPU next week. Now, let's talk about something extremely fascinating and intriguing. This is something that I had no clue about, and if you're an avid newspaper reader, I bet you've read this newspaper. In 1982, News World Communications, which is an international media conglomerate associated with a unification movement who owns newspapers in South Korea, Japan, and South America, founded the Washington Times. At the time, Washington, D.C. had only one major newspaper, the Washington Post. A large percent of the staff that began working for the Times came from the now-defunct The Washington Star newspaper that actually went out of business a year prior. The Times had 125 reporters, and 25% of those were members of the Unification Church. Nelson Mandela wrote this about the newspaper in his autobiography called Long Walk to Freedom. 
They seemed less intent on finding out my views than on proving that I was a communist and a terrorist. All of their questions were slanted in that direction, and when I reiterated that I was neither a communist nor a terrorist, they attempted to show that I was not a Christian either by asserting that the Reverend Martin Luther King never resorted to violence. In 1991, Moon stated that he spent between $900 million and $1 billion on the Washington Times. The Times' first executive editor was Wesley Pruden, and during the time at the paper, it took a strongly conservative and nativist stance. In 1992, North Korean leader Kim Il-sung gave his first and only interview with the Times. President Ronald Reagan is reported to have read the Times every day during his presidency. During an anniversary dinner for the paper in 1997, he is quoted saying, The American people know the truth. You, my friends at the Washington Times, have told it to them. It wasn't always the popular thing to do, but you were a loud and powerful voice. Like me, you arrived in Washington at the beginning of the most monumentous decade of the century. Together, we rolled up our sleeves and got to work. And, oh yes, we won the Cold War. George H.W. Bush encouraged the political influence of the Times and many other unification movement activism in support of American foreign policy. Wesley Pruden retired in 2008 and John Solomon became the executive editor. He had previously worked for the Associated Press and was the head of investigative reporting at the Washington Post. Within a month, the Times had announced that they were no longer using the terms illegal aliens and homosexual, and instead they would use illegal immigrants and gay. They also decided to stop using Hillary when referring to Senator Hillary Clinton These changes in policy drew criticism from some conservatives. In 2009, the Times reported that they were no longer receiving funds from the unification movement and might have to cease publication or become online only. 40% of its 370 employees were fired. Subscription services were stopped. They then announced that they were canceling their Sunday edition in order to end its reliance on subsidies from the unification movement. On December 31st of 2009, they announced that they were no longer going to be a full-service newspaper and eliminated its metropolitan news and sports section. In 2010, the Unification Church issued a letter protesting the direction that the Times was taking. They made a deal and sold the paper to a group more closely related to the movement. Moon and several former editors purchased the Times from News World Communications for $1. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said $1. In March of 2011, the paper made an announcement that many former staff members were being rehired and the paper would bring back its sports, metro, and life sections. John Solomon left the Times for Circa News in December of 2015. 
At the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Times received between $1 million and $2 million in federally-backed small business loans, which was used to help retain their 91 employees. In 2018, the Times' opinion editor, Charles Hunt, included Donald Trump with Ronald Reagan, Martin Luther King Jr., Margaret Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II as great champions of freedom. Now, while the Times did not endorse a presidential candidate in 2016, they did endorse Trump for re-election in 2020. And we are going to end on that note. Come back next week when we discuss more in-depth about the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, their beliefs, practices, and so much more. And like I said at the beginning, because they have so much information out there, I believe that this is going to turn into a three-parter. Before you go, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at California True Crime Podcast. California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at MurdBucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at BucketMurd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day.